Welcome to the RSCC podcast. Thanks for joining us today. My name's Adam and I'm on staff here at RSCC. Here at RSCC, we believe that you matter and that God loves you so much. If you want to know more about RSCC or to keep up with what's going on, follow us on social media at RSCC Family or visit our website at rsccfamily.org. We would love to connect with you. I hope you enjoy the message today. Well, good morning, church. My name is Tommy Baker. I'm uh, one of the pastors over at First Church. I don't know that I've ever been to your church, but I do know some people that you know. John and Sheila Hobson. Do you know those people? Sheila and I were in Haiti together back in 2005. That's 17 years ago, that's hard to believe. And I remember being at John and Sheila's house with the whole group afterwards and having a meal and sharing memories and sharing pictures. So we have that connection. And then I just met Josh this morning playing drums and he used to go to First Church and then moved to here and uh, it's a part of Rising Sun. So we do have some uh, connections even though we've not met. Let's... Uh, Today I'm going to be looking at Colossians 2, 6 through 15. So if you want to turn to that and kind of hold that, we'll be working from that passage of scripture. And the focus today is how is it that we continually walk in Christ. So before we dive in, let's go to the Lord for a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for this morning. And I have no idea what words you have for each and every one of us. But God, we have come here today to seek you and to hear your word. And so God, we ask that you would speak to us. Give us the words that we need to become more like you and more like your son. So Father, to that end, I pray that you would direct us. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. In 2012, my wife Janet and I had the opportunity to go to Italy. And while in Florence, Italy, we were able to see Michelangelo's David. It was outside for many years, and it was moved into an art museum in 1873, where it still stands today. As we were walking down the long hallway to see David, there were seven pieces that Michelangelo was working on when he died. All full life-size sculptures of people, The sides and the back were still raw marble, but you could see the front of all seven people. And so the guide told us that he would have used a a jagged tool to take off large chunks of marble. I don't know how you get large chunks of marble to come off, but he had a tool for that. And he said there was a a medium-sized tool and a smaller tool that he would use to take off pieces of marble. And then he would use something like sandpaper to create the finer details. And so up to that moment, I'd only seen David in books or on the internet. So when we approach David, you need to realize that he's standing in the rotunda as you wake your way to get to David. He sits on a three-foot base, but he's 23 feet tall. That means his eyes are about 26 feet up in the air. And as you move in front of him, it looks like David is continually looking at you. The detail 
is incredible. You can see the sling slung over his left shoulder. You can see the veins in his legs. I can't imagine how you'd create such a piece out of clay, let alone marble. And he's also naked, so that's why I only showed it from the waist up this morning. Oh, But the guide told us that Michelangelo was commissioned to create what we would call a superhero. Michelangelo was the one who chose to create David. And do you know, before he would have taken off that first piece of marble, Michelangelo would have seen David inside that massive piece of marble. And so he knew exactly where to take off large chunks and smaller chunks. And so in that sense, Michelangelo reminds me of God. For you see, when God looks at us, he sees his son within us. And as raw as we are, he sees his son inside of us. And so from the moment that we make Christ Lord and Savior of our lives, God is continually shaping us to look more and more like his son. I don't know about you, but sometimes in life, he's taking off large chunks. Have you been there? Sometimes he's taking off smaller pieces, but it's all painful. Sometimes he's using sandpaper to take those finer details, but he's continually shaping us to be more and more like his son. Michelangelo created David between 1501 and 1504, and God will take our entire lifetime to help us to look more and more like his son. It's a process. It's called discipleship. Now, it's not this kind of ship, as you see behind me. I saw this boat in Florida a couple of months ago and couldn't help resist taking the picture. Now, I'm assuming that the owner of the boat is a Christian, but I have no idea if real discipleship is actually taking place. Discipleship is a lifelong journey walking in Christ, striving to become more and more like Jesus. So when we get to our passage today in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, Paul says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Some translations say, walk in him. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. You see, to be rooted is to be grounded like a tree in good soil. To be built up is like a house being built on a solid foundation. With both of these metaphors, it's a call to growth. It's a call to spiritual, spiritual maturity. And so as followers of Jesus, it's our responsibility to keep growing. And it's our responsibility to help others to keep growing as well. To be overflowing with thankfulness is a call to be grateful. A, to be grateful for 
the response uh, to our response to the redemptive work of what God has done on the cross in Christ. And so being grateful for what God has done for us. And I believe that if we're always grateful for what God has done for us in Christ, then we're on the right track in our walk with Christ. You see, the heart and soul of what Paul is talking about is discipleship. It's about spiritual growth. It's about becoming more and more like Christ. The reveal studies done by the Willow Creek Association identified five markers in a person's relationship with God. One of those markers are are people that are just far from God. These people don't even consider God as a possibility. The next marker they look at is those people that are seeking God. They're at least asking the question, is there a God? They haven't necessarily answered it yet, but at least they're seeking, is there a God? That third marker they identify is those of us that are growing in Christ. We've, We've started a relationship with Christ. The fourth marker is those that are maturing in Christ. Those people are becoming rooted and built up and becoming more and more like Christ. And then that fifth marker they call Christ-centered, or I like to say being sold out for God. If God says it, they're doing it. They trust God completely. And in that focus, they, they look at those three movements of people that are that are seeking God to growing in Christ and those that are growing to maturing and those that are maturing to being sold out. They look at what helps people to make those three movements. And they've got a top five list in each of those categories that help people to, to grow in their relationship with Christ. And I find it interesting that reflection on Scripture. Reading Scripture made the list in that first group, but reflection on Scripture made the top five in each of those three movements. So if we want to grow in Christ, we need to spend time reflecting on God's word. And I know that each and every one of us here this morning are somewhere on this continuum. But we must realize that continued spiritual growth and maturity is God's expectation for each of us. As followers of Christ, he continually wants us to grow. At the heart of it all, a disciple is someone that wants to become like someone else. Let me say that again. A disciple is someone that wants to become like someone else. In the first century, one would be a disciple of a stonecutter if he wanted to be a stonemason. One would be a disciple of a silversmith if he wanted to be an artisan in silver. One would be a disciple of a linen maker if they wanted to make fine linen. And one would choose a rabbi in order to become like that teacher. A disciple of Jesus is someone that wants to become like Jesus. I'm afraid today we've lost some of that ambition. We've lost some of that aspiration. Do we have a desire to become more and more like Christ. What's your goal? Why are you here this morning? Oh, that was great music. That was a great message. No, we're, we're here that we might become more and more like Christ. Are we deliberately trying to become more and more like Jesus? 
For too many, when they accept Christ, they spend their time shaping Christ into their image and be, instead of being shaped into the image of God. I had been a follower of Jesus for almost 30 years when I took the class called Perspectives for the first time. It's a missions class. It's offered in the greater Cincinnati area at two or three locations every year. But one of the biggest takeaways for me in that class, realize I've been following Jesus for 30 years, was this. It's all about me. I've been following Jesus for 30 years, and it's still all about me. If you've never taken that class, I encourage you to take it. You see, the most daunting and challenging responsibility for any follower of Christ is becoming more and more like Christ. So in the simplest of terms, we call it spiritual, spiritual maturity. Are we growing in Christ? We need someone in our lives that will admonish, challenge, and encourage us to be more like Christ. But we also need people in our lives that we are admonishing, we are challenging, that we are encouraging to be more like Christ. We need both of those kinds of people in our lives. A discipling relationship helps us to become more like Christ. None of us, none of us become what God's want by ourselves or all on our own. We need people in our lives to help us to become more like Christ. And this personal transformation requires the grace and power of God, but it also requires the desire and the deliberate effort from each of us to become more like Christ. God does his part, but we need to have our part. Do we want, do we, is that our desire to be more and more like him? And then of course, there's a real and present enemy who wants to stop the whole process. Satan doesn't want any life transformation to take place in any of us. Only the courageous keep going. What I love about all of this is that there's nothing more rewarding and meaningful to be right square in the middle of it all, following Jesus and trying to become more like him. I don't know about you, but in this process, I'm never bored. I also know that spiritual maturity is often messy and unclear. There's no formula or one right way to get there. But we need a target, we need some direction. If we're not going forward, then we're probably slipping backward. We know where it starts. The Great Commission is found in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It says, make disciples of Jesus. That's the true north of spiritual maturity. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and then the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Seems pretty clear, right? But what does it mean to make a disciple? What does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be a mature disciple? We can use scripture to help us. John 15 says, he is the vine and we are the branches and we are to abide in him. Followers of Jesus abide in Christ. We can look at Galatians 5. We find the fruits of the Spirit, and you've been looking at the fruits of the Spirit this summer. Love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. We are to live and walk by the Spirit. Ephesians 4 talks about the unity of the body and the building up of the body. But how do you define spiritual maturity? What's the target? What are we aiming for? I know it's not a black and white formula, but some direction is needed. Wouldn't you agree? Kevin Myers, the lead pastor of 12 Stone Church in Georgia, has given the best definition of spiritual maturity that I've ever heard. He based it off Jesus' response to the question about the greatest commandment. Now, Kevin based his off the passage in Matthew. I've expanded it a little and based it off the passage in Mark. And so what is the great commandment? To love, you, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so when he dives in, into that, he says to love God with all your heart. To love God with all your heart is spiritual intimacy. It's your heart experience with God. I'm talking about a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. You realize the religions of the world have no concept of a personal relationship with God. To love God with all your soul is holy obedience. Surrendering your will to the will and waves of God. Do you do what God says in his word? Or do you give yourself a free pass or a reason why you don't necessarily have to do what God says we are to do. To love God with all your mind is biblical knowledge. The truth embraced in your mind comes from the word of God. Followers of Jesus must continually be in the word, by themselves and with others. To love God with all your strength is sacrificial service. A desire to serve God all the days of one's life. You see, followers of Jesus are servants till the day they die. There is no expiration date when it comes to serving. That's the greatest commandment. Jesus said the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's intentional ministry. A desire to be used by God to make an eternal difference in the lives of, of other people. You see, it's the combination of all of these that makes this definition so powerful. See, Mark 12 lists heart, soul, mind, and strength. Matthew 22 lists heart, mind, and strength. Deuteronomy 6 uses heart, soul, and strength. The danger comes in when we emphasize one of these or we focus on one of these and not have it connected to all the others. You see, spiritual intimacy, to love God with all your heart, without biblical knowledge and holy obedience just becomes emotionalism. We're just riding the waves of our emotions. We're run by our feelings. Biblical knowledge to love God with all your mind, without spiritual intimacy and holy obedience, just becomes intellectualism. It's all about what I know, and it's not about what I'm becoming. 
James says we're supposed to be doers of the word, just not know the word. When it comes to loving God with all your soul, holy obedience without spiritual intimacy and biblical knowledge becomes legalism. They're more interested in rules than relationships. Sacrificial service without spiritual intimacy and holy obedience becomes socialism. We're doing great things, but Jesus just isn't in the picture. You see, only the combination of spiritual intimacy, biblical knowledge, holy obedience, sacrificial service, give us a clear picture of what spiritual maturity should look like. It's the best definition that I found. Though I believe God would grant us freedom with our words as we try to define and shape what spiritual maturity looks at. But as we dive into God's word, my prayer is that we're saying, God, teach me, give me a wisdom. Give me the desire to be more like you. May I be hidden in Christ. May I continually walk in Christ. When a person accepts Christ, it's an act of faith in what God has done for us on the cross. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Salvation is in Christ alone. There's nothing that we can do to deserve it, and there's nothing that we can do to earn it. We're saved by grace through faith. But not only do we choose to accept Christ as our Lord and Savior by faith, we follow that decision by choosing to walk in faith daily. As Paul says, to walk in Christ. In Colossians 2.8, Paul is writing about false teachings that are taking place in the church in Colossae. Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world. Rather, than on Christ. That's why as followers of Christ, we need to be in the word on a regular basis. One of the false teachings in the church at Colossae was denying that Jesus was God in the flesh. Any teaching that doesn't square with God's word is unacceptable. False teachings will always try to deceive us and deny Christ. False teachings will always try to deceive us and to deny Christ. I think one of the greatest problems in the church today is that we expect the church to do what God expects individual followers of Christ to do. For example, when it comes to the Great Commission, is that the church's responsibility or is that the responsibility of every follower of Christ? Now I know we would say it's every Christian's responsibility. But if we're honest with ourselves, we tend to see it as the church's responsibility. When was the last time you led someone to Christ? When was the last time I led someone to Christ? It's not the church's responsibility, it's every follower of Christ's responsibility. Paul says in Colossians 2, 9 and 10, 
For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. We have been given fullness in Christ. We walk in Christ daily because our identity is in our identity is in Christ. We are his child. And we have everything we need to do all that God has called us to do. And so every day we walk into circumstances and situations to be used by God. In, Col- in Colossians 2, 11 to 13, Paul says, In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. You see, the Jewish custom of circumcision was the covenant sign of God's people in the Old Testament. Whereas the covenant sign in the New Testament is being buried with Christ in baptism and being raised through faith in Christ. Now, if you need to know more about circumcision or what that is, just ask your mom or dad, okay? (laughs) But here is what Paul is emphasizing. It's the work of Christ on the cross that makes us the people of God today. It's all about Jesus and what he does. That's what makes us the, the children of God. And so there's no need to go back to the Jewish custom. But that's what the false teachers were doing in Colossae. They were wanting those Gentile believers to be circumcised. They need to be buried and raised in Christ. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So daily we make the choice to die to self and to live for Christ. Daily we're choosing to live by faith in the Son of God. Christianity was never designed to be a solo endeavor. We need other believers speaking into our lives. Making Christ Lord isn't easy. We need friends and trusted believers to speak into our lives. And so Paul ends this section in Colossians that we're looking at today by saying, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. We were dead, but God took all of our debt and nailed it to the cross. Now we are alive in Christ because of what Christ has done. You see, Jesus didn't come just to improve us. He came to bring us from death to life. And so what's our response? I agree with God. He has forgiven me, so I will forgive myself and I will forgive others. He has given me a second chance, so I'm not going to carry any more guilt or shame. 
not even for a single day because it doesn't honor God. The finished work of God took place on the cross in Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. It's all about Jesus. So until Christ returns, I will keep going and I will keep growing. I will keep walking in Christ and I will help others to walk in Christ. I think it was in 2011 when I first came across John Stott's morning prayer. It was in a devotional uh, that I was reading uh, that he had published, uh, a devotion for each day. He also died in 2011, so there were articles on the internet, and so I I saw his morning prayer in, in several places. And so in May, I started using John Stott's morning prayer. Now, it's not the only prayer I pray in the morning, but it's usually the first prayer I pray of the morning. I've expanded it a little over the years since 2011, and it goes something like this. Good morning, Heavenly Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, I worship you as the creator and sustainer of the universe. It was created by your word, and it's held together by your will. Lord Jesus, I worship you as the Savior and Lord of all the world. You are the sinless Son of God. Holy Spirit, I worship you as the sanctifier of the people of God. It's your spirit within us that makes us the children of God. Glory to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, this day, may I walk in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, this day, may I take up my cross and follow you for I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Holy Spirit, this day, cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity. Three persons in one God. Have mercy on me, a sinner. If you're taking spiritual growth seriously, I encourage you to check out that prayer, and I've sent Adam a copy of that if you're interested. And so I've the original version and my uh, expanded version, Adam has a copy of that as you're, if you're interested. I'd like to close with just three essential guideposts to help us to keep pointed towards spiritual growth as we walk in Christ. That first guidepost is an eternal mindset. Without an eternal mindset, it's almost impossible to pursue spiritual maturity. Let's be honest. There are easier roads to take in life. Christian maturity is the one less taken. And unless you believe that heaven and hell are real, life becomes shallow. And spiritual maturity doesn't make any sense. An eternal perspective guides how we think, how we make decisions, how we treat people. It shapes how we handle our resources, our work, and even how we handle conflict. Eternal versus temporal is a complete game changer. 
Are you living for the temporary or the eternal? The second guidepost is a creation framework. Human nature resists submission. No one likes being told what to do. We prefer being in charge, right? As Americans, we love our rugged independence. However, God is the one in charge, and we are not. A creation narrative assumes there is a creator and their creation. And if we are created, then we were created on purpose, and we were created with a purpose. And this includes submission to a greater will. Jesus experienced this struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane. The first time Jesus went off to pray, he said, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. When he went off a second time to pray, Jesus said, Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. If Jesus experienced this kind of struggle, you know we will too. It's not easy submitting to the lordship of Christ. It's a daily choice. And sometimes it's many choices through the day. But continual growing and learning and changing is part of a life committed to spiritual maturity. So are we living for ourselves or are we living for God? The third guidepost is a redemptive outlook. A redemptive perspective believes that relationships can be redeemed. That which is broken can be restored. That's great news for all of us. People walk in one direction, opposite of God, and then they turn around and head in a new direction. I love what God is continually doing in the lives of people. Are you allowing God to use you to reach and to redeem others for Christ? If you've been walking with Christ for a while, I encourage you to look at leading a small group or discipling a younger believer. And if you're interested in taking that next step, it may be a good next step for some of you. Check with Adam and he can help you with that next step. But may we all continue to walk in Christ to live in him, to be rooted in him, to be built up in him, and that we will be strengthened in our faith and that we'll be overflowing with thankfulness because of what Christ has done on the cross. So let me say, no matter how impossible the road to spiritual maturity may seem at times, it is in fact possible. So let's stick together and keep going. Let's stick together and keep growing. Let's stick together and strive to become more and more like Christ. Let us pray. Father, help us to take spiritual growth seriously. And as we walk with Christ, may we have people in our lives that admonish, challenge, and encourage us to become more and more like Christ. And may we have people in our lives that we encourage and challenge and admonish. How are we helping one another become more like Christ? As Paul says here in Colossians, may we help each other in our walk in Christ, to be rooted in Christ, to be built up in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Thanks for joining in with us today. We hope that you were blessed by this message and that you were drawn deeper in faith with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to continue the conversation, please feel free to email us at info at rsccfamily.org. Thanks for the listen and have a great day.